said, you, you, I, I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you're thinking, who is that guy up there? So maybe you came for the very first time last Sunday, and there was this guy on stage in blue jeans. In fact, I'll give you a picture in case you've forgotten. And you know that guy that was in, in blue jeans? Let me get a picture of this guy for you that, are, that uh, were here last Sunday for the first time. Uh, and, uh, well, anyway, he had blue jeans on. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know who that guy was, but where is he today? And you're thinking, who's the guy on stage now? I've never seen him before. But, but you're not alone because there are some folks that have gone to the harbor for 20 years. And they're thinking, that guy looks a lot like Rick. But in 20 years, I've never seen him wear a suit and tie. It can't be Rick. Who is that guy up there? <laughs> well, the guy you saw in blue jeans and the guy in the suit today, same guy. I'm the same guy. And, and, and I'm, I'm doing this to, to say to you clearly, I am not what I wear. My identity is much, much deeper than what I wear. The truth is there are a lot of people in this room today that do not know who they are. There are a lot of people in this room today living with a mistaken identity. We're in this toxic series, and, and we're looking at, at beliefs and emotions and behaviors that are toxic to us. And there's something about our identity that we take upon. If it's a mistaken identity, it's like having this IV drip of poison into our system. There's a guy named Neil Anderson that would say this. He would say, we cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. Let me put it more simply. How we perceive ourselves will significantly shape the way we live. If you're living with a mistaken identity, it's like poison in your system. The only one that can tell you who you are is God that made you. The only one that can give you your identity, your true identity, is God himself. However, most of us, we've taken our clues from the world around us. It begins at the earliest age. It begins with our parents and maybe siblings and, and people around us and neighbors and classmates. And it goes on and on. We've taken clues from the world around us rather than listening to God. So let me walk through with you just some samples to help you kind of process if whether or not you're someone who's living a mistaken identity. I'm going to give you four examples and and maybe one or more of these you'll think about and realize, man, that, that is my identity I've taken on. You'll think that's, that's where I'm getting my self-worth. It's just four examples. The first is this, mistaken identity of, of physical attributes. You, you get your sense of self-worth, your sense of identity through your, your physical attributes. Maybe it's, it's you are really, really beautiful. And men, I'm not looking at you now, but you ladies, maybe it's, it's, you have, there's a great beauty about you, and there's so much about that that you get your worth from that. Maybe men, maybe you're so good looking, so handsome. Maybe it's in athletic skills, and, and you find that's where your self-worth comes from. Maybe it's in vocal skills, but it's something about this, this physical attribute, and you find that that's where your worth is really centered. And a way you can figure out if, if this is your identity is, is if you ask yourself the question and honestly answer what would it take away from me? What would it do to me if I lost this physical attribute, if I lost my beauty? I, I heard Kevin Pate, one of our lead pastors, teaching a, a large room full of men about five or six years ago. Never forgotten when he, he was setting up a point, he pulled out a video of Tom Brady. Many of you would know he's the quarterback of the New England Patriots, and many would say the greatest quarterback of all time. So this video was made of him in an interview uh, about five or six years ago. At that time, he had already won three Super Bowls, and in a moment of deep candor, he said, you know what, after all of this, there has to be more. 
There has to be something else. If you get your self-worth from some kind of physical attribute, it will never fully satisfy. And here's another aha, too. It will not last. It will fade. It will fade. I've been fortunate. I've never had my identity tied up in uh, physical attributes, and it really helps if you just look very ordinary. You probably don't go there. It really helps if you're just an average athlete or less. It really helps if you sing really badly. It, it, but, but I will say this. There's, there was one thing about me that I liked, only one thing. I look in the mirror, there's only one thing I liked about myself. On top of my head, there was this blonde hair on top of my head. I, I tell you why it meant so much to me, I think. Looking back, I, I understand now. We lived in Rio Grande City. It's on the Mexican border. It's, we lived two blocks from Mexico, and blonde hair was at a scarcity around there. And there's this superstition, at least back then, is if you, if you run your fingers through some blonde hair, it'll bring good luck to you. And so first grade, I'm waiting in first grade, and probably I'm the only blonde-headed kid around, and all the high school students, they're walking past, just the way it's scheduled, they're walking past. There are all these high school girls, and they're, they're stopping, they're running their fingers through my blonde hair and saying, you are so cute, you're so cute. And I was, suddenly I was thinking, this must be pretty special. <laughs> Here's a sad one off. Okay, that was when I was six. When I was 16, I still have the blonde hair. Not a single high school girl <laughs> ran her fingers through my hair and said, you're so cute. Not a single one. It, it took Marie Yannick Baldwin when I was 21 to finally want to run her fingers through all that kind of stuff. All that stuff. <laughs> but, but I say that because this, I want you, if, if you're holding on to your esteem is from your looks or your abilities and all that stuff, I want you to take a look at a picture. I want you to take a look at a picture. Like this was me. You see the blonde hair? You see it? Okay, look at the picture. Now look at me. It does not last. I don't care how beautiful you are, how handsome you are, I don't care how gifted you are. It does not last. It will fade. It will unravel beneath you. It will fail you. Is, is this one of yours? Are you putting your identity in physical attributes? Some good news. God says your identity is much deeper than your physical attributes. Here's another one. Mistaken identity is is in money and possessions. Does your sense of self-worth and self-esteem, is it tied to, uh, to the size of your salary or the size of your bank account or your 401K? Or is it tied to the car that you can afford to drive or, or the boats that you ride in or the houses that you own? Is it tied to that? And, and I'll tell you again, if, if it is, and be honest with this, is between you and God, be honest with you, is it tied up there? If so, it will be something that will never fully satisfy a man named Solomon that lived nearly 3,000 years ago. And the Bible talks about all that he owned, and I can make a really good case that no one has ever been as wealthy as Solomon. You read Scripture, you see the stuff he owned. It is staggering. No one has ever owned as much as he did. And Ecclesiastes 5.10, he's writing about this, and he's saying, you know what? Those who love money will never have enough How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. If you've been putting your value in it, you already know it's never completely satisfied. You might know the name John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest Americans to ever live. He would once say, I have made millions, which, by the way, was a gross understatement. I've made millions, but they have brought me no happiness I could go on and on with quotes of people that I'm quite certain own more than you own. And what they found toward the end was it it never brought sustained peace, joy, and happiness. It never did. 
If your value is here, if your worth is here, then what happens if it disappears? What happens if, if that salary string stops? What does it leave? What's left of you? If your investments go south, what happens to you? 1929, the stock market crashed. It began the Great Depression. You, you probably know the story. There were so, countless people jumping out of windows of high-story buildings because their entire worth was in the stock market. They had nothing to live for without it. Nothing to live for without it. And if you get to, if you keep it, and you get to your deathbed, it will abandon you there. It will abandon you there. It will fail you there. Is this one of yours? Do you get your self-esteem? Is your identity your money, your possessions? Here's some good news for you. God says your your identity is much deeper than any amount of wealth and possessions you could ever have. Third one, mistaken identity is, is a role that you hold, or in other words, what you do. Some of you, maybe it's you're a mother. Maybe some of you, you're a dad. Or, or you're a husband or a wife, and you hold those deeply, and if you really think about it, your identity is wrapped up in that role. Or, or maybe it's you, it, you're a banker, or you're a plant operator, or you're an artist, or whatever it may be. Think honestly, if... if a title, a role that you had were to disappear, what would it do to you? If your identity is wrapped up in being a wife or a husband, and hear me, that is a privileged gift from God. But if your identity is wrapped up in it, what, what happens to you if your spouse leaves you? Divorce or death, what happens to you? What's left? If that's your identity, if that's your worth there, if that's who you are, if you're a mom or a dad, and, and what a privilege gift from God to be a mom or a dad. There's gravity in that. But what happens if it's your identity? What happens if, if you lose your child? Or what happens if your child becomes this prodigal son or daughter and they don't come back? And your whole identity is wrapped up in you were the mom, you were the dad. You poured your soul into it, your life into it, and now you have nothing to show but failure. Now what's left of you? There's some really good news if, if you've had your role into, into this. And, and let me give you an illustration. And this is, a, this is fairly insignificant, but it's really recent for me. Uh, I had recent knee surgery. There was an MRI that showed a torn meniscus, which could be repaired. Um, but there was always a chance when the surgeon got into the knee that he might find more extensive damage. The torn meniscus was from a, a non-running injury. He might find extensive damage, which would mean I would not run again. And so my wife, Marie, has watched me run for over 40 years. And, uh, and she, has, she knows from my uh, dresser drawers and my closet, she knows when I'm not at, at the office, I wear T-shirts, and every single one is a harbor shirt or a track and field shirt. She knows that. She's watched me over 40 years just wait for track and field news to come every month, and I devour from cover to cover. And so she asked me, when I'm so excited, the surgery's going to come, I will run again. She asked me, can you take it if you can't run again? Can you handle it if you don't run again? And I couldn't answer instantly. I had to take three or four or five days. I had to really get to the core of that. Have I taken this on as part of my identity, a part of the core of who I am? And it took three or four or five days, and, and I came to this resolution that, no, it's, it's something I enjoy. It's something that's good for me. But, but if I lose this, I don't lose myself. It's not my identity. It's not my identity. It's not my identity. Is there a role that has become your identity? If so, 
There's some good news because God says your identity is much deeper than any role that you played. I'll give you one more example. There are many more we could, could go with. But this last one is, is this mistaken identity of performance or achievement. My wife, Marie, has uh, coached uh, countless people for years now. And she says, this is the one she sees most. This is so common with us in our culture. Is your identity, your worth, your self-esteem tied up in your performance or your achievement? Maybe it's your performance in the classroom, or maybe it's in the workspace, or maybe it's the athletic field, or the concert hall, or on and on and on. Is that where you get your worth at? If you were to lose that, what would be left of you if you were to lose that? I want to, I want to give you two stories to illustrate what this looks like, and they both will begin to turn us what God says about true identity. The first story is about a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He lived in Jesus' time. In fact, he lived beyond the time that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. And he would become a follower of Jesus. But before that, he was in this culture, he was in this nation that was consumed with this drive to be religious and to check every box and cross every T and dot every I religiously. They had taken all of the Old Testament. They had taken all of the laws of God. They noted all of those. And because God wasn't, didn't have a big enough standard, get this, they added over 600 more laws themselves because God wasn't strict enough. And so this guy, Paul, he's in that culture, and he's really, really good at it. Really good. He, talk about performance. Talk about achievement. Really good at it. But he becomes a follower of Jesus, and he would write this to this great Roman city of Philippi, book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning verse 3. He would say, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. There's no confidence in performance, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience, strictest performance to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, Christians. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He said, guys, you, you, you knew me then. All of God's laws, the 600 plus others, I was the guy that checked every box. And then he would go on and say in verse 7, he would say, I once thought these things, this performance, were so valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else, all my performance, all my achievements are worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage, all my performance, all my achievement as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, my own performance through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through my faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It depends upon faith. He's, he's turning the corner. He's saying, this was my life. He was saying, my identity was in performance and I was really, really good at it. Probably better than all of you, including the guy in the suit on stage. I was really good at it. And he said, but I learned it was empty and hollow. And I, I, I learned where true identity can lie. And he begins to point the arrow, point us toward, it's, it's in this relationship with Jesus. That's where it is. 
two stories, one, one Paul, two story. Second two story is going to be a live story. Raymond Butler, I'm going to ask him up on stage in just a few moments now, but Raymond Butler uh, was in the harbor from the very beginning and uh, many years and then moved away out of town and so he's been gone for a while. But I want to give you an introduction, and I'm going to tell you some things about him I normally wouldn't tell, because it, at, at a deep level, what does it matter? But this is his story. You've got to hear this part of the story, because he would never tell you. This is really cool. He went to Texas A&M. Okay, there's more, okay. I've got a few. Whoops, there's more, okay. He went to Texas A&M. He studied mechanical engineering, one of the hardest majors at A&M. He was married. He had a child. He worked full-time. He graduated in four years. Summa cum laude, the highest academic team you have. He did that. He got involved in corporate America. He would become vice president of two different large companies. He would build his own company. He would run it. He would sell it for a handsome profit. He'd become executive director of the Gulf Intercoastal Canal Association and make a powerhouse of an industry association he played a major role in recovery from Hurricane Katrina, 2005, New Orleans wrecked, waterways wrecked, played this major role in the recovery of that. When the BP Deepwater Horizon blowout occurred, the government called him. So would you help us minimize the damage? Would you help us facilitate recovery here? The highest civilian award Coast Guard gives is the Meritorious Public Service Medal Raymond was given that not once, not twice, but three times. And above all that for us here at the harbor, if you've been around for a while, you know of the phrase Mustard Seed Mountain. You know that there was a day back many years ago that we had bought this land and we could not build on it because it was too flat. Couldn't build on it because we needed a mountain on this land. And, and you know the story of we were at this breaking point. We're just on the edge of what do we do now? We're, we're on this cusp of does it happen or not? And, and there was this one person that took on this task of, by God's direction, like try to find massive amounts of dirt and at pennies. And, and this person looked and looked and looked, and the very last, the very last opportunity, he found the place and brought 5,000 dump truck loads here, and that man was Raymond Butler. I heard someone say this morning in the hallway, you know what? We wouldn't be seating, sitting here today if it weren't for Raymond Butler. So would you give him a warm harbor welcome when he comes up? Raymond, thank you. Yeah, I so appreciate you being here, coming back for this. I've been excited to sit on stage and uh, have a much larger crowd hear the story that I have watched, but I also have most recently heard from you. So let's go back. I know that your father was the biggest influence upon you in those growing up years. What did you take away from that time of life? Yes, he was. Um, he was the foundation of the rest of my life, actually. Uh, he was a steamship captain for Alcoa Aluminum in the late 40s and early 50s. And um, he was, had a pretty rough upbringing. Um, he raised myself and my brother uh, to equip us for a rough world. And I know now he was doing the only thing he knew to do and hopefully was the best for us. But uh, I think he raised us the same way he ran his ships. When he would come home, it was the highest level of performance was only acceptable. 
and even then we never got in we never got feedback that it was it was extremely demanding standards were unachievable no matter what we did it seemed like it really always fell a little short of the mark and yeah, I know he was trying to drive us to achieve the highest levels that we possibly could um, but never in our lives as children growing up did we hear the words I love you I'm proud of you you did a good job um, his method of disciplining us was to belittle us and berate us and really destroy our self-confidence and sense of self-worth. Um, it was only through the very strong Christian faith of my mother that we survived those years. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say your identity was at that time? My identity during those growing up years was one of being unworthy, um, incapable, uh, a failure, um, any sign of approval or love always came with a condition that you meet these performance standards and the perfection that was required. Um, and even then, it was extremely rare that we got any of that mm -hmm. from my father. Mm -hmm. So I, I left my, my childhood feeling like I was just not worth a whole lot. And the only currency you knew of was the currency of performance then. That's so right. I know you left home to go to college driven, extremely driven. And in that, successes started to roll in. They did. They did. Um, during my senior year of high school, um, I was faced with an untimely marriage and a child on the way. Um, and it left me with a sense of being a tremendous disappointment to both my parents when that happened, but, but especially my father. And uh, that was something that marked me probably for many, many years. Um, however, when it got time for me to leave for college, I determined that I was going to succeed. I was going to earn his approval. Somehow, some way, no matter what, I was going to hear those words, I'm proud of you. And whatever it took, that's what, that's what drove me. During college, I worked, as you mentioned, the whole way through, um, helped support my family. I studied extremely hard because I wanted to show my father I could achieve. Mm -hmm. I could be uh, an accomplisher. I could be worthwhile. There's some self-worth. I have value. Um, and that drove me for the good portion of my, my working life. Mm -hmm. um, my identity was, was tied up in a sense of accomplishment. What can I do? What can I do next? Mm -hmm. um, I poured my life into my work. I even started some projects outside of work at home, um, building things. Mm -hmm. um, 
what I learned after all of that over a period of time was that something was not something was not there. Mm -hmm. Something was still mm -hmm. missing. Even the projects got extremely complicated and very three years, four years, five year long projects. Mm -hmm. At the end of those, there was a sense of deflation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just gosh, that joy didn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah. That sense of accomplishment mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. it faded. Mm -hmm. At the end was disappointment. Mm -hmm. This is what I, I really hope our friends in the crowd will hear in this. The reason I gave details of your resume is because the level of accomplishment, the corporate accomplishment, the entrepreneurial accomplishment, um, the achievements far exceed what most of us in the room would ever even dream of. And so when it comes to performance, you performed at one of the highest levels. The achievements have rolled on and on and on. Yeah, what you just said was, just said was, there's still something missing. The contentment never lasted. Right. Joy right. was fleeting. Fleeting with it, yeah. Fleeting, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I stress this because maybe there's someone in the room thinking, I'm on this performance track, and if, if I, the next big deal, yeah. the next big accolade will be it. And I hope they hear that it never will be. It never will be. It, your story doesn't end there. I know that it was from your mother's faith and the faith of a couple of really close friends that a day came that you became a follower of Jesus. Tell us about the what, the when, how that happened. Thanks for asking. That's a favorite story of mine. <laughs> um, my, my wife, Nita, I, I know was the gift to God. She was sent to me for a reason. God was pursuing me, and I was about to find out what was really missing. Um, Nita encouraged me, built me up, and she was the reason that we wound up involved in the early years of FCC, mm -hmm. which is now the harbor, Friendswood Community Church. She got us involved in that and kept us involved in that. Um, along the way, I met a very special individual who has proven to be a mentor and a lifelong benchmark and, and guider for me. And he had a gift of making God so real to me that there was no way I could avoid God's pursuit any longer. He was just too real. He's there. He acted so vividly in my friend's life. There was nothing I could do to ignore that. That led me to an Emmaus walk. My first Emmaus walk was in September of 1997. I gave my life to Christ. I understood what it meant. It was a turning point for me. My life did change. I knew and I was confident that I was forgiven for all the sins that I had committed. I was, I was saved by my faith in Jesus Christ and I was going to heaven. That was it, done deal, uh, guaranteed. However, that deep 
ingrained need for approval and accomplishment to perform to perfection, those standards was so deeply ingrained in me that it surfaced as time went by. And I found myself again on that need for that missing thing. Something was still not quite right. Even though my identity, I would tell you today at that time in my life, was as a born-again Christian. Yes. I did believe in Jesus Christ, yes. and I was trying to live the life he wanted me to lead and was a pretty regular attender right here yeah. during that time. But there was still something that God promised that I couldn't quite... Couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't understand it. Yeah. And it was that sense of contentment that he promises, mm -hmm. that joy and happiness that he is the key mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. I was still missing that. Yeah. This, is, this is so important that I want to, to uh, recapture some things you just said. You, you authentically began trusting Jesus, had a relationship with him, heaven-bound, but unknowingly, you had not surrendered your identity in performance to him. Just completely unknowingly. This is so common for any and all of us when we begin to follow Jesus. We're so prone to still go back to where we got our self-worth and look for it there again. Even though in our own mind we think we're, we're all his, all surrendered, but, but we're not. And, and that's, that's your story. And that's the story. Perfect. Only God knows how many of us in this room you've been following Jesus but been wondering why is the promise of lasting peace and lasting joy, why am I not living that? And, and this is it's one of the biggest keys, one of the biggest ahas. And, and you've lived that, that you lived that, follow of Jesus, but still perform, perform, perform for a long time. But... Recently, that began to change. It did. And um, let's fast forward 20 years from September of 1997. That's a long time. Yeah. During that time, God was pouring his grace out on me, just like the song said. He was, it's unbelievable some of the things he did in our life. Where's Nita? It's the stories I could tell are a lot like the stories my friend told of how real God was in my life. But there was still that missing contentment, sense of security. It, it, was, it was just not there. And he was about to teach me why it wasn't there. Um, about 12 months ago, it was happened in August of 2017 God was after me big time and he was going to teach me something and he did it was probably the most painful emotional time of my life um, loved ones that were important to me for my whole life family members that were a deep part of me rejected me totally. Mm -hmm. They didn't want any 
contact from me. They would not hear from me. Nothing I could do to reach out could fix that. Nothing I could do. And believe me, with the sense of drive that I had, I tried everything that I possibly could to, to fix that problem, to, to reach those people, and I couldn't. Your performance failed you. Performance failed. It was, I could not do that. And God was telling me, there's a way, but you're going to have to turn loose. You're going to have to ultimately turn loose of everything. And that was hard, so hard for me to do. But in this case, I had no choice whatsoever. That period of of time, that 12 months, began a journey for me uh, through the help of other people that, that... intervened in my life one happens to be a Christian counselor here in this area through continuous effort and help from her and others I began to realize God wants me to turn loose of the wheel he wants me to be totally dependent upon him to get my sense of self worth from him alone to know that he is with me and that he has good plans for me. It, it took a while. In fact, just recently has this started to occur in my life. I'm sorry I'm getting a little bit emotional here, but um, it, is, it is so real to me now, and I just couldn't realize it without having gone through this. But now I have a sense of what real contentment is all about mm-hmm. what that joy is mm-hmm. and what real happiness is about and you won't realize it any other way and it gets to the point where you just have to God it's yours I can't do this yeah. help me yeah. and yeah. get out of the driver's seat Yeah, that's still a struggle mm-hmm. but it has led me to sense what he has really been after me for. I've seen you in Paul's footsteps really coming to a point of saying, um, I'm throwing performance out the window. Not that I won't give God my best, but I will no longer look to my performance for self-esteem. Uh, it's no longer your identity, uh, but it's found in Christ. This is important, too, that the circumstances that, that broke you haven't changed, but what's changed is You've switched identities now. Yes. Uh, My identity now comes from knowing that Jesus Christ is with me all the time and that he is all I need to get through this life and that by turning it over to him, I don't have to worry about my performance anymore. I'm I'm for an audience of one, and he Mm -hmm. has told me, I'm enough for you, and I'm going to take control of your life. Yeah. And I will show you where to go yeah. and what to do Amen. and what not to do. Amen. 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 I think that's a good place to say thank you for being so vulnerable. And uh, can we thank Raymond for, for telling us his story? Thank you. Thank you, my loving brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
If, if you have made performance and achievement your identity, there's some really good news for you because God says that your identity is much, much deeper than any performance, any achievement you will ever have. Let, let, me, let me boil this down crystal clear. This is what God says. Remember, he's the only one that can tell you who you really are. This is what God says is that we have one of two identities. There are only two identities. We either are lost or we're found. These are these are Jesus' terms, but everyone on the planet has either the identity of being lost, again, Jesus chose that term, or being found. This is what they mean when he used the term lost, and you can read Luke 15 to get a picture of this. All he means by that is, is that you've not come to a point of trusting your life to Jesus, not come to a point of surrendering leadership to him. And by the way, every single one of us begins lost. Every single one of us begins our first breath lost. We begin there. By found, he means simply, is that you have trusted your life to Jesus. You begin to place your faith in him. And so um, ponder where you are right now. Again, not my terms, but, but Jesus' terms. Ponder whether you are lost or whether you're found in his terms. Because this is what the Bible says about all of you in the room that to this point are still lost. Remember, all of us were born that way. This is what the Bible says is true about you being lost. You need to hear this. It says, it says this is the reality. You're a sinner, a slave, a prisoner, guilty, condemned, and separated from God. This is what is profoundly true about you with the identity of being lost. But here's the great news. In Luke 19, 10, Jesus said, I came to seek and save those that are lost. That's the only reason I came, he says. He came for you. We talked, we sang in this song about this reckless love, and we said, he will tear down every lie. If you've been believing the lie that there's any other way to live this life well and to be good and everything, he's tearing down that lie now. He's saying, this, this is the reality for you. This is who you are, but it can change in a heartbeat. Jesus says, I, I am pursuing you now. One heartbeat, one authentic prayer saying, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to surrender leadership to you. I'll place my faith in you. And then you become found. This is what Scripture says about being found. And all of you listen to this. If you're found, then you're a child of God. 1 John 3, 1. You're loved. 1 John 4, 16. You're chosen. 1 Peter 2, 9. You're accepted. Romans 15, 7. You're adopted. Romans 8, 15. Paul, take your phones out. You're going to take a picture if you want. Take your phones out, whatever camera you have. I'm going to keep rolling here. You are a masterpiece. Ephesians 2, 10. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're a saint, Ephesians 1, 1. You're an heir, Romans 8, 17. You are holy without fault, Ephesians 1, 4. You're complete, Colossians 2, 10. You are victorious, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Take a picture of that, friends. If you are found... Take a picture of that and, and begin to live in that. That is your identity. That is true about you. This is who you are. God says, God says, this is who you are. 
If you are lost, take a picture of that. God says, this is who I made you to become. This is what is true about those that are found. Are you lost? Are you found? If you're lost, right now, own it. Own it. God says, right? Just own it. That's who you are. If you're found, right now, own it. That's, that's who God says you are. But I want you to spend just a few moments with me now. There's a song I heard three or four weeks ago. The moment I heard it, I thought, this, is, this has to be near the end of this message and, and uh, in fact, I'll invite the band to come up now as I tell you some background on this. When this song is sung, I don't want you to, to stand and sing. I don't want you to sit and sing. I want you, want you to sit, or if you prefer to stand, whatever you do, I want you to hear the words of this song. Because this is the identity of someone who's found. If you're found, let these words wash all over you. If you're lost... Hear these words and know Jesus longs for this to be your identity. Hear these words and I'll come up and give some closing comments around this. Father in heaven, may we now be raw and open and honest before you and acknowledge I'm either lost, and this is what it means, that's just who I am, you say so, you say, or I'm found, and this is what it means because you say so. Father, these words, these words are going to reflect what it means, what it is to be found. Help us hear them, be moved by them. In Jesus' name, amen.